Okay, we are, uh, none of you were here the last time we met, so, except Kim says she is, and I'm, I'm disputing that. Oh. <laughs> so. <laughs> well, for two weeks over the break, I wasn't, but. Um, anyway, uh, yeah. I think we start at Luke 2, 10 to 14. We are finally in Luke. Luke 2, 10 to 14. Thank you, John. Unfortunately, we have a lot of conflict next door with all the talking and everything going on. So you said Luke 2. 10 to 14. And Jonathan, why don't you start? Just read the whole 10 to 14 verses. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is God, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. This is where I uh, actually could wish I was looking at Logos and looking at this in the Greek. I think almost all versions, anybody have a different version besides King James and King ja- New King James? What version would you like? Uh, you have the U version? If you, if you don't have the U version, then you don't have the versions I'm familiar with that are online. You want NASB? Uh, uh, NASV is too literal. Okay. Uh, give me, do you have Common English Bible? I know you like NASV. Okay, I know I've that got it. I've got Kim likes. Okay. Okay, I've got, I've got um, Common English Bible. Okay. Which, which verses? Read verse 14. Okay. Glory to God in heaven and on earth peace among those whom he favors. Yeah. 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 The, the King James Version and the New King James Version has glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward man, in, all inclusive, mm-hmm. not goodwill to those he favors. And my question is, which one is it in the Greek? And yeah. I, uh, I think favors. <laughs> I thought he loved all of us. I thought he wanted peace for all of us. Yeah, this sounds a little bit Calvinistic, so... <laughs> How about Hebrew? It's not in Hebrew, it's Greek. No? Okay. Yeah, right, because right, it's... it's uh, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm actually going to... Translate like easy, yeah? Yeah. I, didn't they translate... It's New Testament. No, it's the New Testament. was for us. They, yeah. don't, they don't believe in it, so they never translated it? I'm asking. Who is they? The, um, that there is no trans, there's no translation mm. of the Greek text into Hebrew? No, there never was. Okay. There never was. There might have been a Hebrew text into Greek. Right. Matthew. I, some think that Matthew was originally written in Hebrew. Ah, uh, because I've had yeah, I've heard sense. people say that. that um, oh, they um, went and they Greekized the Old Testament because there is no J in the Old Te- in Hebrew. Not following. So. Okay, in Greek, there's the letter. Well, later the, the letter J. Somehow the letter J got in there. It wasn't necessarily um, from Greek, but whoever translated it 
into the English, they used the letter J. Well, they said, oh, they Greekized the Old Testament because... You mean Hellenized. Yeah, well, they said Greek. Now, the Common English Bible does say in verse 10, wonderful, joyous news for all people. That's a little different than what that says in 14. You know, so it, uh, yeah, that helps. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm going to get up Logos and look it up yeah. in the Greek. Um, this is the Common English Bible. Common um, yeah, English. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Okay. So it's Dr. King Abbreviated C E B. Yeah. Right. Right. Thank you. That's the the newest, very scholarly version. Yeah. Uh, although it's very colloquial in the way it's translated. Yeah, uh, I love to my Bible around for 50 years, but this is. I could do more with it. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it's right there at your fingertips, all That's these different good if versions. You can do technology. I can actually, if I weren't recording, I would, I would take my phone and look up Lagos. Right, right. Because I have Lagos app on my phone. Oh, wow. However, it's not as easy to find. I can't get everything on it. Uh, Lagos is a huge program. Excuse my ignorance. Is the Lagos app only for people that are Greek scholars like you? Okay. Okay. So it, it, it has it has all the tools yeah, on it. Yeah. Um, so let's see, uh, Luke two fourteen. All right. Here's the word. Uh, Those whom he favors. It's eudoikia. It's not a classical word. Hmm. It is almost completely restricted to Jewish and Christian literature, and occurs for the first time in the Greek Bible. Uh, it is not even found in the Hellenistic Koine. Origen found it only in the Septuagint and regarded it as its creation. You means good. Doik, doik means... I'm trying to think what do, do, dokia would mean. Okay, here it is. Eudoxia, the eudoxia derived from eudoxos, renowned, glorious. I was thinking dokia meant praise. Mm-hmm perhaps help to fix the specific meaning. And then you go to modern Greek, but it means contentment. It means pleasure or, or um, uh, good, goodwill, mm-hmm. good, uh, good thoughts towards you. That which pleases someone. And that's probably... So it, it, it's literally among men... And Anthropos, so humanity, uh, among men who, whom he takes pleasure in. Mm-hmm. Is there an English spelling for that? Is it saying he takes pleasure in men? Or he's wishing. Well, it, peace it sounds restrictive. It sounds restrictive to, to us with. when we translate it in English, yeah. but I'm not sure it has that nuance in Greek. Right. Let me go back to. The language of the angelic chorus is cryptic in the extreme, using neither definite articles nor verbs to control the syntax. The structure of the verse is discussed above. There are two parallel lines in the second beginning and on earth, since Irene, peace, is what God has achieved, at least in a preliminary manner, in the birth of the child with doxa glory, too, we must be speaking the achievement of God. And see, doxa and doka, dokia. No, that's not the same. Because you have the ia. Um, glory too. We must be. I see. The sense is best represented by supplying the initial. There is 
God has achieved Irene peace is here the Old Testament shalom. It is not simply, simply an inner disposition in the absence of war, but evokes a whole social order of well-being and prosperity, security and harmony. The recipients of Messianic peace are said to be anthropoi eudokios, people of good pleasure. A phrase which has occasioned a good measure of dispute. This is word biblical commentary, by the way. And is a poorly attested textually, and it's to be accounted for the strangest of the Greek as a Semitic idiom involved. Uh, so they go to the Hebrew and Aramaic. Uh, they think of it as ratz, ratzon to make clear that God's pleasure is in view. To be of God's good pleasure, to be found. See, God is not in the text. Interesting. And on peace, goodwill toward men, mm-hmm. among men. Mm-hmm. I always feel that we need to be careful about reading into the text, even based on other texts, assuming that that's what they're following. Because it doesn't allow for the spirit to have led to higher ground. You know, and then we're always tied to the past. And there's plenty of evidence in the Bible that there's a trajectory of development taking place. Uh, where, though it says in, in many early texts that uh, sins, the sons will suffer for the sins of their fathers and the fathers will suffer for the sins of their sons. Though it says that, later on there's a decided shift in theology so that it's forbidden that sons suffer for the sins of the father and the father for the sins of the sons. So I don't want to be tied to just how it's used in the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. I tend to see it as let's, let's leave God out of this as the Greek does. And this is for everybody. Mm-hmm. Okay, so now my question is, finally get to the question. If this text were the only one you had on the gospel... What would the gospel be? If this were in the, the gospel, in the common English Bible, no, and, and we decided to leave God out of, out okay. of that. So it's it's as okay. we have it in the King James and New King James version: "Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men, or goodwill among men." I think it's the N in Greek would mean among. Well, of course, I'm biased because you know I've always believed in God my whole life, but like. There's no goodwill among men without God, even if you don't mention His name. Right, right. I know that, but this yeah. is but yeah. the way your version, the versions we other versions we're reading, yeah, yeah. it's God is restrictive. Okay. He is he he right. he does he does goodwill only to those He favors, yeah, yeah. not the rest of humanity. What what's the tradition of this common English Bible? Just out of curiosity, because it sounds kind it's, of Calvinist. it's multi it's it's multi denominational. Okay. Okay. In fact, there's an Adventist in the lot who translated it. Interesting. That's not to say there's no there's no Calvinism in Adventism. Right, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> Glory to God in the highest on earth, peace, goodwill toward man. So, what what is this verse saying? Let's maybe start with that, and then we'll move to the gospel. Okay. It doesn't matter to you which version we're in, right? 
It does. Okay, okay. Because your version's Calvinist. Okay, so we want, we want common English Bible version. We don't. Oh, we don't want that one, okay. Um, go, go to the New King James. Okay, got it. See, it's, it's indiscriminate. And, and anthropoi has that indiscrimination. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's, it's all humanity. Uh, it's not men. It's people. Mm-hmm. Anthropoi is a po- it's probably the course, closest Greek correspondence to Adam. Adam does not mean man. It means uh, human. It's a, it's a genus term, or species term. So what does it mean? Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. Goodwill toward man, toward humans. You know, one thing I love about the cross is it points us up and it points us out. Mm-hmm. You know, so there's the vertical and the horizontal element, which is, you know, glory to God and this goodwill among men, which is we're really giving glory to God. We're going to make sure that we extend goodwill to all men around us. Otherwise, we're not really giving him glory because I think that's what his intention is. Well, yeah, we can't flip this around and say uh, peace to God in the highest and glory to man on earth. Which yep. is how we have done it. Right. And as humanity, right. you think about it, all the glory goes to God for our salvation, right? Amen. Mm-hmm. And yet we have attributed to him, we have made it seem that a human being had to make peace with him. Yeah. By the cross. So we have flipped it. And the glory belongs to the human who made peace with him. Mm. I never took it that way. Yeah, is it supposed to glory to No, it's not, it's not meant that way, but we have flipped it. Right, to God to, who made it possible. That way. Yeah. We, we, we conceptualize that the glory goes to Jesus, a human being who made peace with the Father through, the death, uh, through his death on the cross. Uh, so the peace part goes with God, and the glory part goes with Jesus. Okay, take this, my son. Uh, I always figured that. He's the one who got out of his way to come down here and become. And that's what I think this verse says. I mean, the plan was set. But there's there's millions of Christians who believe that the death of Jesus in some way reconciled the Father or in some way appeased the Father's wrath. And that has infiltrated the Adventist church to some degree. So that we, our problem is with God instead of with sin. And, and, and the problem is God, not us. And what I think this verse does, uh, I, I, I think what this verse does is to make it very clear that the glory goes to God. In, in, this is the incarnational moment, right? This is the, this is the incarnation coming placed on earth. Uh, the glory goes to God, and the effect of that glory will be peace on earth, goodwill among men. We're the ones, and so this verse implies that we're the ones that are hostile. We're the ones that are always warring with one another, and we're always out of contentment, out of uh, sync, out of harmony, out of um, health and well-being which is all embodied in the word peace. 
It's not God in that state. Glory to God in the highest. That gives us evidence that he's the one who's initiating this whole thing. Glory to God. And honor and peace, that's what he's hoping we will receive, is peace. And the goodwill toward men. Where is it coming from? It's coming from God. And that's why, that's why I reject the other versions, because it seems to me that if you take the Greek just as it reads, uh, you don't have God restricting his goodwill to just those he favors, or to his peace to just those he favors. I mean, there's, there's room for an understanding of that, in that um, only those who are in sync with God will experience peace. The rest don't. It's just a cause and effect relationship. But the way that most translators word that, it sounds like that, that God is the cause of that lack of peace, or that he simply only gives peace to those whom he favors. No, he, wants, he gives it to everybody, but some will not accept it. Some will not embrace it. This makes sense here. Goodwill toward men, rather than goodwill among men. Although the Greek, the Greek does favor among goodwill, meaning I have goodwill towards you, and you have goodwill toward me, and, and we're all in harmony. Uh, I think that's what is meant by the word goodwill. Goodwill may not be the best. Uh, it, it means really that we, ha- we, we perceive everyone with favor rather than being an enmity. But back to the question that I, I finally skipped over. If this were the only text we had, what would our picture of the gospel be? And you can see how there's two ways to interpret it, uh, given the different translations. I don't think this text is enough, witness the fact that we have the rest of Scripture. But the real heart of this story is not the words of the angel. The real heart of the story is the event, the action of God becoming a human being. And that is, is worth volumes more than words can convey. This relates, uh, again, to Greek thought versus uh, Hebrew thought. Thanks to Plato and Aristotle, Western culture has kind of inherited a tendency to, to view things in a static manner. We are, we are really into stasis. That is the, the standing, uh, immobile, uh, fixed, absolute w- answer and, and, and understanding of things. In Greek thought, everything is dynamic, action-based. And so there's nothing static. There's nothing fixed. There's nothing um, simply uh, stagnant. It's moving, it's flowing, and it's, you have a storyline. Constantly have a storyline. Uh, the other aspect about Greek versus Hebrew thought is that Hebrew thought is in time. Uh, we don't, the Hebrew thought, you don't control time, uh, you don't uh, measure time so much as you are in time. And everything is, is about time. Greek does not have that time 
kind of sense. They have place. They are uh, spatial as opposed to temporal. So, so our Western way of thinking is far more Greek than Hebrew, and so we approach these stories in the Bible really with a Hebrew lens, I mean with a Greek lens, and we miss the underlying presuppositions that God is defined not by words, but by action. He is dynamic. He's a dynamic God. So you can't put him in a box. You can't, you can't make him stand still. Uh, and you can't make him be static. In fact, the more I look at the thought process of the ancient world, uh, I'm convinced that the Greek Hellenistic view has its roots in Babylon. And, and in fact, in all other nations outside of Israel, uh, with their pre- preoccupation with idols, which is a way to fix your de- deity in a box. And it's a way to, to make that deity static. And of course, Israel tended to fall into that trap of making things static. That's not what they were supposed to be. And so under inspiration, we have preserved this, this storyline where God is represented by his actions. And, and so you, you think about the, the Old Testament. Um, what, is, what is the big crux of the Old Testament? It's the acts of God. It's all the things he did for Israel as he led them out of Egypt. It's all the things he did for Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Um, the people in the Bible are only known to us because God in, entered their lives and dynamically changed everything for them. Uh, so, so when it comes to knowing God, when it comes to uh, having a relationship with him, that whole relationship and knowledge is based on his actions. I, I know that's kind of deep and heavy, but it has, it has helped me to understand something about God, that the actions define words instead of words defining the actions. And that's, that's contrary to how we Western people think. Uh, we tend to think that words define action. It says God is love. We see what love is by his actions. It's by his actions. That's right. That's what defines his love. Uh, not that we see his actions and say, that's love. And, and there's room for that. I, I'm not opposed totally to a Hellenistic way of, of looking at the universe. But, but first and foremost... It's the action that defines the words. So, right here in, in, in Luke chapter 2, uh, you have the action of Jesus becoming a human being, of God becoming a human being. And what does it mean to us that God became a baby? I mean, he could have come as an adult, Right? Simply showed up. Well, we all start out as babies. How? To mimic like the growth of humanity, like the development. Okay, so we could see development uh, the, the, of a perfect person uh, developing. Infants are helpless. That's the ultimate condescension, isn't it? I mean, the ultimate humility. Being completely vulnerable, in a completely vulnerable state. 
There's nothing more helpless and vulnerable than a baby, a newborn especially. Anything else? Let's go to uh, verse 10. And the angel said to them, and I'm going to translate this from the Greek, stop being afraid. He didn't say don't be afraid. That's kind of not necessary because they are afraid. You You don't say don't be afraid to people who are afraid. You say stop being afraid. And that's actually how it is in the Greek. Uh, Stop being afraid. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be to all the people. That's pretty inclusive. Not just those on whom his favorite favorite rests. Yes. But notice this in the context of the shepherd's fears. The long absence of God from this planet. When was the last time that God walked and talked with someone? In in, in terms of nothing in between and, and nothing no disguise and all of that, yes, creation. I want to be done. Well, it depends on if you're, um, there's a Garden of Eden, but the, isn't there also like Joshua and Moses and there's little snippets. They saw visions. They saw... Moses. They, they saw, it says that Moses saw God face to face and yet the, it also says that no one can see God's face and live. Right. So it's, yeah. it's obvious he saw... Uh, he saw in vision God's face or he saw God in such a way that he didn't see that actual glory so there, there was this intimate face to face vulnerable interaction with God and human beings before the fall and after the fall there are isolated individuals that seem to make intimate contact with God but not as intimate as before the fall there's, there's, there's more structure and the farther you get the less intimate contact there is. And what happens? We become afraid of someone we never see, right? Particularly if we're a picture of him is someone who will harm us. And that's the picture that many people in Jesus' day had from the Old Testament. God is, God is dangerous. God is frightening. God is harming us. Keep it just, just thinking about uh, every illness, every disease, every accident, everything that happened was God punishing you for a sin. So you were under a constant condemnation if you suffered any misfortune. So this fear, this fear of God, this fear of seeing God, and the, and the note, stop being afraid, or you must no longer be afraid. Is anyone afraid of a baby? I think there are a few men in the world who are afraid of babies. They don't know what to do with them. (laughs) (laughs) Is it they're afraid of them, or are they afraid of hurting them? I think they're afraid of hurting them. I don't think they're afraid of them. But... Isn't that why God came as a baby? If there's anything that's going to calm our fears long enough to get to know him. 
seeing him in a baby is going to do it. So I, I, I really love the way the Bible packs the gospel in just a little few verses and gives us a whole new concept of what the good news is and, and what God is like. So we can kind of keep that in mind because I think that Luke, one of Luke's objectives, of course Luke is a Gentile who's converted to Christianity. He's not Hebrew in background. And so when Luke approaches these stories, he's thinking of the inclusivity of the gospel. Now Matthew does too, but I think Luke does in a different way. He's thinking of the Gentile community coming in being grafted into the, the spiritual community of God, uh, community of faith. So we want to watch for that as we continue. And let's have our closing prayer. Gracious Father, we thank you for the good news that the angels shouted out uh, to humanity, that you are the God who has favor toward us, who has peace toward us, and that the glory belongs to you thereby. It is not the other way around. It is not that, we, that a human being named Jesus brought him peace. It is that he gave us peace. May we carry this wonderful truth in our hearts as we move from here. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.